Thank you for joining today. Today, we'll be doing part two of my story. So if you haven't heard the first part, I would suggest that you go back and do that. For those of you that have, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening and giving positive feedback and even constructive criticism because we all need that sometimes. I never meant for my story to go into two parts. Um, I was actually kind of hesitant to even do my story on my podcast because I didn't want to be like self-promoting or like make sure making it all about me. But I realized that most of that's in my mind. And once I started talking, you know, it just started flowing. It was like the floodgates opened, you know. There was some stuff there that it was the first time, not only that I said it to someone, but the first time that I even said it out loud. And, you know, that's the thing about storytelling. It it helps the storyteller and the listener. And that's what this show is all about. So with no further ado, here we go, part two. So you, it sounds to me like, I mean, just listening to kind of you share your story here, it sounds to me like you had you had some challenges with the fact that you were losing your identity as a football player and and the pain pills was helping you escape the, this new reality that you didn't want to face. And then you got some relationship problems going on with you and your baby mama right now, you know, at this point in time. And there again, the devil shows up in the form of this pill again, and you're like, you know, it seems like a good idea, and it helps you to escape this false sense of of security, you know. Or and this and this and instead of leaning into those things like you do nowadays, like you you allowed that to, to consume you and take you down this path that that you were on for several years. Yeah. For about seven years, I'd say. Yeah, seven years. Um, from 2015 to 2022, I I think I spent most of that time locked up or in a rehab or, if you can believe it, in worse places than that. Um, sounds crazy to say that the jail and the rehab is the safest place for me, but if you've been out there and you understand where I'm coming from, um, mm-hmm. I, that's like, like you're talking about earlier, how whenever I, I would be doing the pain pills and the drink, uh, liquor and I'd be blacked out and then I'd do meth and keep myself awake. Like I was like literally walking zombie for there for most of that, you know? Yeah. Uh, I ended up having so much trouble in Oklahoma that I just moved. Uh, I had been selling all my shit to do pills because I had I wasn't employed at the time. I, I lost my job. I got another job and then just said fuck it, you know, which became a common theme for me in a lot of situations in my life. Um, I just said fuck it. Fuck it. Somebody pissed me off at work. Fuck it. I'm gone. You know what I mean? And I ended up moving to Florida at this time, which wasn't really good for me. Either. Um, I come down here and like, I had a lot of friends down here and they were partying and they were like, you know, not that they were trying to like 
steer me wrong, but they were like trying to look out for a friend by getting him drunk so he could forget about his troubles, I guess. You know what I mean? Like they weren't saying, Hey, let's fucking do this cocaine and drink so we can ruin your life. Like in their mind, they're looking out for me. Um, but it wasn't a good place for me. I ended up, I didn't stay down here very long. Um, I ended up going back to North Carolina in 2016. So the five years from 2010 to 2015, I was, I had tricked myself that I was under control. I had everything under control by being away from the pill, you know, and I kind of did, I guess. But I never really like talked about it. I never told anybody, hey, this is why I'm moving. I never told anybody hey, you know, like, so I'm still doing, like, doing all this in silence, suffering in silence, I guess you would say. Uh, I don't even know if I could admit to them that I had a problem because I couldn't even admit it to myself at that point in time. So um, I go to Florida for a little while, then I come back to North Carolina. Uh when I was in Florida, my friend, he he sold cocaine down here, and he, he put me on. So when I say put me on, he gave me drugs to sell um, on consignment at a cheap price. And I kept that rolling for a little while. So this time when I got from Florida to North Carolina, I had like $10,000 or close to it had a per cap and some money from um so i come here and my brother's here and my brother was already struggling you know he was already pretty pretty bad out pretty bad off too so i came to cherokee and it was probably i don't know everything happens for a reason but it wasn't the right choice for me at that point in time in hindsight <laughs> i probably should have went somewhere else I get here, I go crazy. Uh, I find out that, you know, the people that I had met in Florida, I'd get, I'd get, uh, the drugs that I was getting in Florida, I was getting for so much cheaper than they were selling for back home. So, um, I started thinking to myself, hey, if I can sell these pills, I ain't got to, uh, I ain't got to spend no money. I ain't got to like, you know, like I can get high for free. I can get as high as I want mm -hmm. without money being an issue. And that's what I did for a while. Uh, I did any and every drug. I liked pain pills. It got to a point where pain pills were $50 a piece. And I was doing too many of them. So... When I say I had a thousand dollar a day habit, it wasn't a thousand dollars worth of pills that I was doing. It's what I could have sold them for, you know. Right, great value. Yeah, um, but still, like I'm like, man, I, how am I going to do this if I'm doing this many pills? And then I got introduced to heroin. Uh, and man, that was a game changer right there in the sense of. I can get higher than I ever have on these pills for a lot less. You know, I can get high. I can get as high as I could off the thousand dollars worth of pills off a hundred dollars worth of this stuff, you know? Um, 
would you say that you were developing like the lifestyle you were developing an, an addiction or this this hunger for the fast cash for being being the person that people went to you know being the plug do you think that you were that you were as addicted to that as you were the drugs themselves because it gave you this sense of identity you know i you know i think you're right i mean i don't know about as much cuz I don't know about you, but I didn't like anything as much. I didn't put anything up there with my drugs, you know, not my family, not my friends, not my responsibilities, not God, not my health, not my body, nothing. Um, but it was a close second. Uh, yeah. It was icing on a cake for sure. Uh, like I always said, priority number one was to not withdraw, you know, stay high so I didn't have to withdraw. Uh, number two, make as much money as I can because it started getting to a point where I was making money. You know, I was making quite a bit of money actually. And I thought I had everything I wanted materialistically <laughs> at least. Yeah. You no, know? uh, you're, you're empty as hell. And, and so freaking, uh, w without purpose, everything, those material things that so many people search for. I mean, if, if greed and more is the itch that you're trying to scratch, you ain't never going to be satisfied. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, I noticed that from the outside looking in, like, seeing you from afar, like how you were always had these nice things and watches and bags and shoes and all, all this stuff. Like, you took pride in that, you know? And that was that was something that you you held in high regard. But yet you were so lost, you know, whenever that was never fulfilling, you know? No. no. And I, I tell people that, man, like nothing, ain't nothing. What it was is, uh, I think what really caused my spiral was the issues I had with my kid's mother. I, I wasn't able to see my kids. Uh, those are still consequences I deal with today. Um, at that moment in time, I I was just like, fuck it. I can't see my kids. Fuck it. You know, like, I wanted to see my kids so bad that it, I, I started to use that pain. That's the pain I was running from. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, that, that, the, the real, that's it right there. Uh, the pain I was running from was not being able to see my daughters who, if they, or listening to this, or if they ever do, you know, just know I love you with all my heart. And it, it was a me thing, you know, it wasn't ever them. Um, but that's the pain, you know, with each passing day, like it was bad, you know, like I used to think to myself, man, I ended up just like my dad. And I don't even know that motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like I know him now, but at the time, you know, I'm mad at the world, like just using it to, you know, in hindsight, I, I was, uh, it did hurt, but I, I did the wrong thing. I ran from it. I ran further from it. You know, I, I tried to numb it. I tried to escape it. Uh, my reality became so dark that I felt like it was stuck like that. So the only thing that I could do to get relief from it is to get high and try to concentrate on breathing and not dying for a second instead of the issues that were at hand before. Um, yeah, you know, we went to, we went to we went to this training 
Um, I don't know if Caitlin talked about it, but uh, it's called Beauty for Ashes. And one one of the modules was that we went through, but it, it's like helping you to recognize childhood trauma, talk about it, address it, bring it out into the light, and then, you know, heal from it. And one of the things that caused childhood trauma, especially in Native communities, is a longing for mom and dad, right? And it, it sounds to me like you had that longing for, for your real dad that you never you never have got to have that relationship. And so maybe I'm just throwing this out there, but maybe that's what was causing you to be, be so angry without even really knowing it. You know what I'm saying? And then, and then you have this sense of purpose and being a father and then things just go sideways, you know, and, which which happens, you know, from time to time, you know, unfortunately, but you lose this sense, of, this purpose that you have as being a father that you never had, that's taken away from you, and shit just went really sideways after that. Yeah, at that point, I felt like, fuck it, you know what I mean? It, it, I'm, it, go big or go home at this point, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And to your point about my dad, like, I love my dad. Um, I understand that although our parents, you know, we think they're infallible and they're our heroes. They have traumas too. They have stories too. So well, yeah, we have to, we have to remember that, you know, they're, they're people too. They, they grew up, they, they have a story just like us, you know? So in, in my older age and, you know, I've realized that I can't hold that against him. Like, uh, I did, but it wasn't, it wasn't, man, it's not healthy. What really made me, Bro, I ain't told nobody this. My brother Kyle Jacob Smith, he passed away this past year. Rest in peace. Um, I never got to tell him before he passed. I told my little sister after he did, though. But, man, I was never close to him. Not to Kyle and Haley. And (laughs) I never told them that it wasn't anything that they did. I loved them to death. It's just that. I could not see my dad be a dad to them when I watched my mom struggle because he wasn't there. Yeah. It broke my heart. You know what I mean? And that, that, that contributes to, to so much of our, our trauma and our drug use, man. And for, for the listeners tuning in, I think if, if you take anything away from this podcast is, is letting go of those resentments that you may be holding with your parents. Because like you said, Jack, you know, they're human. We have to make a discrepancy between the title of mom and dad and the trauma that they're carrying. Like they're people too, you know? And whenever you look at, you look at Angela for Angela instead of mom, that helps you really take into, or look at Ruth for Ruth instead of uh, who's my mom, right? Instead of mom. That helps me to make that discrepancy. Like she's human. Like before she was my mom, she had a lot of. I mean, she had her own story. You know what I'm saying? And it helps me to kind of let go of any resentments that I've had in the past and take a look, take a step back, and take a thirty thousand foot view of things. And I really think that brings a lot of healing if there's resentments there between us and our parents. Yeah. Um, 
but you're right. I think that uh, I wanted, I had such a desire to be such a good dad because I didn't have that, you know, and when that was taken away from me, um, even if it's my fault, it still was insane, you know, to me. It's like, not insane, but it made me go insane, I guess. At least made me act insane. It, uh, I felt like if I didn't have my kids to live for, then fuck it, let's ride, you know. You want to go to the ramp in the middle of the night with $3,000 and a Glock? No license? So let's go. You know what I mean? Like, what's the worst that could happen? Like, in my mind, and uh, not that I was suicidal, but in some of the things, like, I have kind of like a it, it is what it is mentality, you know? If I get shot tonight, then oh well. You know, if I overdose, which I did multiple times, um, oh well. You know, like, I just I just didn't care. Uh, so you you're, you're living this, this wild lifestyle at this point. You're catching a lot of charges. You're in and out of jail. Um, you, you know, you do a lot of time. Like, what was what was that rock bottom moment for you? Man, it's I had a couple rock bottom moments. Um, man, one time this was. I want to say like seven years that was rock bottom, bro. But I got a couple instances that stick out in my mind. Um, one being, I had a friend, a childhood friend. You know, when I say we go back, we go back, Caleb. Like, I remember letting him open presents at my birthday party because I was like four or five years old and he was the same age, you know. And you don't tell a little kid, hey, you can't open a present, you know what I mean? It's hard to tell that kid that you can't open a present because it's his birthday, you understand? And so he was he was upset because his dad had just told him this. And I was like, you know what, man? You can't have it, but you can open it. That's the type of friend that I had right here. That's That's how far we went back. And fast forward to 2017, I just got back from Greensboro, North Carolina. I went on a drug run, felt, you know, thought I was fucking kingpin. But I get back to Cherokee uh, at the Frontier Motor Lodge, which is a small little motel across from the casino. He's there, a couple girls there. Um, We're getting high. Uh, at this time, this is the first time I had got fentanyl-laced heroin. And it's it's crazy to think that in that life, Caleb, that falling out was a badge of honor. And when I say falling out for the non, for the people that don't know, um, when you fall out, you overdose, but somebody narcans you and you don't die. They bring you back. So when you fall out, you you overdose, but you don't die. And if I if somebody falls out on on the stuff that you're selling, man, you can't keep that shit. Like it's 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 insane. But like a moth to a flame, bro. It ex- exactly. But you know, um, he fell out. Um, everybody's panicking, bro. Um, and me, um, this ain't my first rodeo, and it, 
it's scary to say that, that like I have been in that situation so many times, Caleb, that I knew what to do. I knew what was going to happen. I knew exactly, you know, like, hold on. Like I, I was bagging up some drugs. I tie my bag up. You know, I put the stuff in my bag, put my scales up. I get a nasal Narcan out of my bag, spray it in his nostrils, you know, and I'm waiting a couple of minutes. I'm like, oh, this is that fentanyl lace shit. Let me give him another one. So I give him another one. All right, so I'm waiting. Well, normally in my past experiences, you know, after you hit them with the nasal Narcan, it takes a couple, a, a few ticks, and then they're like, <clears throat> you know, yeah. like take a gasp of air for life breath, and that's not happening, Caleb. And I'm like, holy shit. Damn, this shit's strong. At this point, I'm still not panicking. I go back into my bag, pull out the needle Narcan, the one that you got to put together, you know, and draw it back. Um, yeah. Put it in the muscle. Yeah, so then I jab it in the back of his arm. Um, and Caleb, he's still not waking up, bro. His lips are turning blue. And, like, at this point, people are fucking panicking. And I know in the back of my mind, like, it's been so many times, like, somebody's called 911. I got 55 grams of heroin in my bag and a pistol. I'm a felon. Uh, trafficking in North Carolina is a 93-month sentence mandatory. And they consider trafficking of fentanyl 3.5 grams. And I have 55 grams in my bag. And Yeah, you ain't see the light of day. They catch you with this. I took off running, bro. Uh, I just ran away. Um, And like you said, like, I wanted to say that it's because I would never see the light of day again, right? But, bro, I didn't want to withdraw. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't want to. Like, I, at this point, I had been ripping and running for like six months. And by ripping and running, I mean I had been out of jail for six months, probably on parole, probably on bond, probably on probation, probably with warrants. So I'm just ripping and running, trying to just go for as long as I can. And I didn't want to withdraw, bro. I took off running. He didn't die. Uh, he ended up being saved, resuscitated. But in that moment, bro, I felt like the the most bitch ass motherfucker on earth. But how did you I, deal with that? When did you did something? Did something change? Did you go to detox? Did you you, you know want to go to rehab? What what happened after that? Bro, I had some man, I fucking put some shit on the foil and slid that shit right out of my mind. Um, it was just a passing thought, you know. In hindsight, it's easy for me to dissect. At the time, I'm not trying to do all this time, right? In hindsight, it's more than that. Not only did I want to do the time, I really probably didn't want to go without my drugs because I could do time, right? I'm comfortable there, right? When I walk up in the jail, people know me, you know, like that's what the persona I was, I was going for, you know, they know me as, oh shit, that's the plug. He looks out for us on the streets. Let's look out for him in here. Soups, coffees, whatnot, you know? So I know it wasn't just the jail. It was, it was going without the drug, you know? And, uh, I was was that was 2017. Uh, that was a rock bottom moment. I actually, uh, this was like March. I got arrested in June of that year. I just want to talk about that whole experience because I really seen 
God working in your life during that time. Like God was working. I think he was working in a lot of our lives because we had this little this sense of brotherhood while we was locked up. You know, we we worked out together. We we, we laughed. We, we read different self-help, self-improvement books. You know, like Rick Warren, What on Earth Am I Here For? was one th- something that we all dove in together with, you know, and and that light bulb, that light switch was, was flip, flipping, I believe. And I got out a little bit before you, right? And then you get out and we we start going to the recovery center in Cherokee together. Like, you're doing really well. You get a job. You're working your ass off. Like, you're showing up. Take us through. And that's something I admire about your story, Jack. And, and we probably wouldn't even went over this, but I felt like it, we, it's, it's good to kind of dive into because for people that maybe get out and do well and, and are in recovery for a while, and then something happens and they go back. You know, because that's, that's part of your story. Like, what was it after you got out in 2017, after we'd done that time together, what was it that sent you back out again or sent you over the edge to start using again? Uh, well, um, I did have a job. I actually had two jobs. Um, the gold wing, and you had yeah. the gold and I rode a bike to work, you know, like I was, I was about it, I guess, you know. Um, you was, man, yeah. <laughs> you, however you had to get it, bro, like you were, you were riding that bike everywhere, like, for real. Well, you know, you know what it was, honestly, I, I, uh, I was with a girl at the time, we were living together, we ended up breaking up, right? Um, she moves out. I got this big ass house to myself, big bachelor pad. Uh, can't even be a bachelor pad though, because I go to work at Granny's Kitchen at 6 a.m., get off at 3, and I go to KFC from 4 to 11, you know, and squeeze in a workout somewhere in there. But, uh, man, I was struggling to pay those bills because I didn't realize, you know, when I was telling her to get her shit and get the fuck out that she paid for half of everything. And, uh, <laughs> So, bro, I had to pick up extra shifts, you know, and <clears throat> one day I slept in, <clears throat> not on purpose. I think I was on, like, day eight of working both jobs nonstop, you know, and I just, I just, my body just crashed. Uh, I was supposed to work at KFC that morning. I called KFC. They are like, it was a Sunday, too, Caleb, which I don't know if y'all kfc's are like ours but our kfc in cherokee used to be like centrally located and i'm talking about sundays man it would be lying out the door mm-hmm. but that's the shift i slept through and i'm calling them it's like two o'clock right after lunch rush so it's not looking good for me in the sense of like i'm gonna just tell them i was asleep you know they're probably like yeah and you woke up right after we wasn't busy you know but man i called and they're like yeah since you left us hanging just don't come back in you know and i was like what well, I go back to sleep. Uh, didn't go to Granny's that night. Uh, they were like, well, you know, you've been laid a bunch of times. You, We understood you were working both jobs, but, you know, we can put up a little bit of tardiness or whatever, or you have to leave early to go to the other job, but we can't have you missing whole shift. We're sorry. we got to let you go. Um, in that moment, I, I probably could have got another job. I mean, I was about nine months sober 
Um, but I didn't. Uh, I said, fuck it. Uh, also, at this point, you know, we get so used to the instant gratification of as soon as we do our drug, we get what we want. Um, as soon as I snorted the line, as soon as I smoked off that foil, I forgot all my problems. I got the result that I wanted instantaneously. Well, in this process of me getting out and doing the right thing for nine, ten months, um, I still ain't made no progress in seeing my daughters, right? Um, and I understand it's a process, uh, but that coupled with the fact of losing my job, you know, maybe losing the relationship, um, just all this stuff, it just, I just said, fuck it, you know, and I'm glad you pointed to the thing earlier about like this addicted to the selling of the drugs and stuff. Cause man, it was so easy for me. And I've done this twice now where I've been doing good <clears throat> and I can go from like being a, being a voice for recovery. I went from being that or trying to, you know, being what I'm doing to the plug in like two days. Mm-hmm. And, it was just easy. It's easy. Um, quick cash. Go ahead. No, it's quick. I mean, it's quick and easy cash, like you said. You know, instant gratification. You know, you can you can flip something real quick. You know, and you've got you got a lot of money in your pocket, and and you you not only you're getting off on what you're doing because it's it's that that fast cash. It's everything that comes along with the lifestyle. You know, that gets us high. That gives us that dopamine reward. Yeah. Um, doing something you're not supposed to do, I feel like, is also part of it, you know. Uh, yeah. I'm on probation this whole time too, <laughs> from the time where me and you were locked up. I'm on state probation, you know, and like I lost my job in October, right? And when I say quick, man, quick. Uh October like seventh maybe is when I lost my job. Uh I'd say by like October 15th, you know, I already had a, another vehicle in the in the driveway. Um, I had already progressed like all the way up to the top of the food chain, if you will, like as far as where people get their drugs in Cherokee and even surrounding places. You know, I even had people coming from other places, you know. Because at the time, the fentanyl laced heroin I got first in 2017, I was still getting it from these people. So before, like, fentanyl really hit the streets, you know what I mean? Like, how it has, like, how it's hit mainstream suburbia, how it has now. Like, back then, it was kind of hard to get. So when I got that, it, like, made it a a really easy selling point, you know. So mm, I just dove right in you know when i say like it wasn't even that hey i got high i got high and then i started getting high and started missing work you know it was like i lost my job said fuck this i got high that that first night i think i smoked weed i done the xanax bar i smoked some meth and i drank a beer and i think i might have i think i tried some fentanyl that night too you know the first night bro so when i say zero to 100 i don't even think that's an accurate description you know um for about three months, I went crazy. I'm amassing all this nonsense, you know, trying to fill the void that not seeing my daughters has created in my life. 
trying to fill this void with money, with alcohol, with drugs, with jewelry, with designer stuff, with Jordan shoes, with cars, with women, with with the uh, perceived power that I thought I was building up by selling drugs. Um, and it didn't work. Uh, I think I got arrested. That happened in October of 2017. I got arrested in December, I think. Uh, no, that was 2018. I met you in 2017. I got out and I was sober for the end of 2017 and all the way to October of the next year. And, um, yeah, December 2018, I get arrested like two days after Christmas. That's my infamous man held under large bonds after arrest this morning in the Hickory. Um, ended up having to go do my suspended sentence for all that, uh, for the probation that I was on. And then, let's see, 2019 was a blur for me. Um, did I... No, it's 2000. Okay, 2019, I got out after doing the violation. I run the streets, uh, getting a couple high-speed chases. Um, ended up uh, SWAT team kicking in kicking in the door on me at uh, on Wrights Creek at Benny T's house. Um, ended up having to do, I think, like 10 months off of that. Because uh, they kicked in the door, but they didn't find nothing. Um, so, like, because I was, they didn't, I wasn't even there when they kicked the door in. So when they found me, they found like a little bit of drugs in my possession, but they gave me the fullest maximum extent of the law for these. I think they found me with like three, like point three grams of heroin, and charged me with possession with intent times three. And gave me ten months for that, but. Probably needed it. Um, off the back end of that, I part of that ten month sentence I got to do at rehab, Conowood uh, uh-huh. Street and Snowbird, and that's the rehab I was at. Um, I was doing good in this rehab. I got accepted into the long term program, and then uh, in typical Jack fashion, I get kicked out, <laughs> breaking the rules. Um, I actually called you, Caleb. I yeah. Called you. It was your first anniversary, and uh, COVID was rampant. The res was locked down, and I don't know what you thought I was calling you for. I, you might have been thinking I was telling you happy anniversary, but I was like, uh, Caleb, I need you to pick me up, bro. I ain't got nowhere to go to kick me out of rehab, uh, and you picked me up, bro. Um, even further than that, I... I didn't have nowhere to go because, like I said, I had been fucking off, and then I got sober, and then I started fucking off again, even worse than before I got sober the first time. And uh, understandably so, my family was not trying to let me in their house, you know. Uh, in hindsight, I can look at it and say they was just protecting their peace, you know. They are setting boundaries with me. But at the time, I'm like, those motherfuckers, you know, and... uh I, I didn't even want to ask you. I, I honestly think you and Caitlin asked me, and I, I'll forever be grateful for that. But they're all like, do you have anywhere to go? You know, and I ended up moving in with y'all. Um, 
we did the outreach work for Res Hope. Uh, I got a job at Cooper's Creek General Store. Shout out Miss Jody and Mr. Richard. Um, hell, I even think I jogged to work a couple times, Kayla. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, man. I mean, so that was that was April 2020. You know, you move in, and and there again, like you, you're. I'm just going. I'm going to call. Like I say it, brother. Go ahead, man. I feel like up until now, and th- th- this point in your life, I feel like a lot of times what sent you back since I've known you is a relationship, right? Yeah. Things don't go right in the relationship that you're in, and, and you kind of go into that mind mindset where you're just like, "If it, I'm, I'm not." I'm not doing this, you know, I want to go back to what I know. So, you know, that's, that's something that's totally different right now in your story. And, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. Um, I feel like you're in a, in a great relationship now, you know? Um, but if you could go back and tell yourself something during those time, but those, those, those periods of time, whenever, whenever shit went sideways in that, in those relationships, what would you say to yourself? Well, I, mean, I get your head out of your ass. You did this shit. Because <laughs> I feel like a, I'm, I'm just, like you say, you call it like you see it. I mean, I think sometimes I just was like, fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, even before the relationship ended, I'm like, fuck this relationship. So <laughs> then I do whatever it is I need to do to get them to to be like, nah, I ain't, I ain't doing this shit no more. And then I could then be like, oh, man, my heart's broke. Caleb, my, my my girl left me, you know what I mean? Now I pushed her out the fucking door, you know what I mean, by being an <laughs> asshole and cheating on her and all this and all that. But she broke my heart. I'm the victim. Uh, there again, you know, my, all this for the outside world, you know, looking in, I'm thinking, you know, well, there's my justification right there. I'm a brokenhearted individual, you know. Not necessarily even being that, but you know, I, I ran with it for sure. Usain Bolt. Um, <laughs> so you got. I, I honestly don't know what I would say because I mean, I was talking to Josie about this last week, but it's hard to bullshit a bullshitter. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't know if I would have even wasted my breath talking to that Jack because he probably wouldn't have listened. You know what I mean? That's Probably true. had big ass diamond earrings in his ear until you couldn't hear you or some shit like that. <laughs> was, um, but yeah, uh, you get uh, out, you live with us for a few months, and then you move out. That relationship ends. You start using again. You go back to jail again. What was it during this? Because you done, you done. A, a pretty good amount of time this last time too. Yeah. Before you got um, out, you and Rachel got together. So what was, was it? Go ahead. So what what happened during that jail stay? Who who did you have to talk to? What were some things that you felt like helped you to kind of change your mindset and get you on this new path that you're on during that time? Well, I want to go back to the right after I moved out of y'all's house. Uh, y'all told me not to. Uh, I didn't listen. Uh, I listened to everything y'all said and was like, fuck it, I'm doing it anyway. Like, I feel like in the back of my mind, I kind of knew 
that I wanted to go get high again, but y'all wouldn't let me, so I had to get away from you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so before the relationship even ended, you know, we were getting high. Um, so like you and y'all were here. No, not there. Not there. Uh, got to Washington's Creek, started getting high. Um, that's actually what, what came to my thing. Like I ended up getting arrested for some petty stuff or some old charge. Actually, I got arrested for an old charge that happened before I came to your house on rehab, right? Or out of rehab. So when I got to your house, I thought all my charges were gone. But they had an old charge from like 2018 in Jackson County or something like that. Um, Cherokee, uh, what did they get me for? I probably had some old charges there too, but I had a bunch of charges that I hadn't taken care of. So they put them all on one thing and they gave me an ankle monitor. And uh, I was on the ankle monitor like two months after I left your house. Um, not necessarily because of what I had done in those two months, but because of past things I had done that had caught up with me, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's really my rock bottom moment, I would say. Uh, from 2020, probably October of 2020 to December of 2020. Ain't it weird that it's always in the fall? But, uh, man, I don't know if I ever used more drugs than I did in that time, Caleb. Own house arrest. Um, I knew it wasn't a good idea to be on house arrest. They didn't really want to let me out. They gave me parameters of 24-hour home confinement. You understand? And I'm like, uh, the judge wrote on my paper, Caleb, that cannot leave the house unless he is going to court or to the hospital in an ambulance. And <laughs> In hindsight, I'm like, what was I even thinking getting out? Like, how was I going to pay for anything, like bills or anything? Like, they wouldn't even let me go to work. But, you know, 2020 Jack was in jail. Like, they're going to let me out. Let's go. You know, um, the day they let me out, they put my ankle monitor on too tight, uh, which is part of my rock bottom story. Um I ended up meeting some people at that time that I had known from back in the day, you know, and they had just came around and they brought some people around, like some big time players in the drug world. Like like a couple of these people like doing like 20, 30 years right now, you know, uh, for stuff that they did in 2020. So I'm blessed to not be with them, but um, my ankle monitor is too tight. Mm-hmm. I did email. I emailed my probation officer a bunch of times, telling him that my ankle monitor was in fact too tight. But although he never said nothing back, I don't know even if he would have if I would have went down there, Caleb, because he would have been like, I don't know that he would have been. But me playing the tape through right now, he probably went, oh, it's too tight. We'll come down here. I'll loosen it. And well, your time. Yes, sir. Exactly. You took the words <laughs> out of my mouth. And at that time, man, I would have pissed in the cup. I would have melted the bottom out of that thing, you know. Um, I I was doing like uh, almost an eight ball of fentanyl a day, probably about the same in meth, um, Xanaxes, 
uh, cocaine, weed, um, ecstasy, molly, um, crack. Uh, I cooked my own crack. Uh, took it as a point of pride, actually. Um, but my ankle monitor was so tight, Caleb, that like it just started like like going into my skin, bro. And I did not want to go be locked up. I did not want to. I did not want to go and withdraw because up until now, the worst withdrawals in my life when I get arrested. Um, I didn't want to. I had never in my life done the amount of drugs that I was doing at that time. And I did not want to withdraw. I did not want to feel those withdrawals. Um, I weighed like 190 pounds, but you couldn't tell me shit because it was that skeletal body was adorned with designer, you know. Um, <laughs> didn't even look like myself. Um, I didn't talk to nobody. Uh, doing all this on house arrest. Um, I, like I said, my ankle monitor is getting tighter and tighter, like my legs. I'm not taking care of anything. All I'm doing is getting up. Like, damn, that kind of hurts. It's not that bad yet, though. So, hey, somebody give me some foil. I'm about to put some meth and some fentanyl on there because that's what I did. A swirly is what I call it. Um, I heard it, I was, I heard it in street lore, an urban legend that you can't overdose on fentanyl. You can't overdose if you have meth in it too. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard that, but I have heard that. I don't know if there's any scientific backing behind that. I'm pretty sure there's not, but you know, at the time it was gospel to me, Caleb. That was we definitely tested that theory anecdotally a, a, a ton. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, I was just, I'd get high and forget the world, bro. And I say forget the world, like, when you can forget that your foot is about to fall off, like, you are fucking high. You know what I mean? Like, I, go ahead. That was going on, man. And she was telling us how bad your, your foot was, your leg was infected after you got arrested. Yeah, she they was, said, she Yeah, she was mad. Well, I mean, I can't put all the blame on them. They did never answer. Don't get me wrong, but I, even if they did, I don't think I would have went down there because they were drug testing me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, because at the time, I had it made. It was actually, um, once again, a perfect storm of bad events. Um, COVID was going on. Remember that? Yep. So I didn't have to check in. Uh with house arrest. I was on house arrest, but to check in, I was supposed to check in every Monday, right, between 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. or something like that, but by text because you couldn't see him in person. <laughs> yeah, you had it made, man, if you're trying to hide, for sure. Not get locked up or have to piss. So yeah. when they arrested you then, I mean, what was what, what transpired over the next next several months? Well, they arrested me, bro, and, like, man, I thought I was going to be locked up. Like, honestly, I don't know. Like, I remember one of the officers, uh, Dustin Wolf, he arrested me, said, you did it this time, Jack. Whoa, you did it this time. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, Jack Smith did nothing. Like, started reading out my charges, Caleb. Like, and they had ran in my house, right? 
but when they ran in my house, my ankle was so bad that I had to go to the hospital. And the whole time I'm at the hospital, right, I didn't even tell you this part of the story, but I'm in pain. My fucking ankle is hurting. And the fucking pain pills they're giving me, I don't mean to cuss so much, bro. The pain pills they're giving me, the stuff they're giving me ain't touching this because my tolerance is so high to the drugs I was doing on the streets. They're giving me like Oxycontin 80s and I'm like, and it's not like jail. I'm cheeking these meds, cheeking them, Caleb. I had like three or four of them built up at once. I had three Oxycontin 80s. I took all three of them at once, hoping to get some relief from my ankle and I couldn't do it because those drugs could not touch my system. All they could do is get me from withdrawing, you know? That's all it did. It didn't provide no pain relief. Um, they told me, I don't know if they, they was like, we don't even know if you'll ever walk again. Um, like, you might lose your foot. That's what I heard the first day. The second day, well, we think you're going to save your foot, but there's nerve damage. Third day, uh, your foot might not be the same again. You might not be able to run or anything like that. Um, and all this, you know, while all this is going on, I'm in pain. I'm withdrawing. I'm like, fuck, they got me. My hands ain't cuffed, though, but it's because I got IVs in both sides. And I keep, I can't even get up and walk at this point. So, you know, and at the time, like, I was in pretty bad shape. They had me in, like, the critical care unit, so I didn't have a phone in my room. Or the phone I did have was kind of far away, and I couldn't get up and get to it myself. And the whole time I'm thinking that there's a cop outside because I knew what was in my house when they came in. Uh, I kept thinking there's a cop sitting out here, and they kept asking me, when do you think you're ready to go home? Does it hurt? And I'm like, hell yeah, it hurts, because it did hurt. But I think, I don't even know if my ankle was hurting, if it was registering, if it was getting through the withdrawals I was experiencing, you know. Um, that's the hurting I was talking about. So, but I just kept trying to stretch it. I, I kept thinking that when I leave here, I'm going to go to jail for a long time. I'm going to be locked up for a long time when I leave here. So I'm just going to stretch my time out here. Fuck it. You know? Well, then they're like, I start to get up and start walking after like two weeks, you know? And, uh, I walk out. The first thing I said is I want to walk to the door. I want to look down the hallways. I would like to walk down the hallway. They're like, you're not ready for that. What I'm really trying to do is see if there's any police outside my door. I go over there and look. No. So then I get on my phone and start calling people. You know, I call my homeboy. He's like, yeah, man. They didn't say what they found in your house, but they didn't say anything. You know, and I was like, but the SWAT team came in and got you. They took you to the hospital and, like, nobody's heard anything after that. Um, I'm like, bro, I'm putting you on my visitors list. I'm telling you that you're my dad because he was an older white guy. I need you to bring me some fucking fentanyl here right now, you know. Um, he comes over, tells him he's my dad. I only get one visitor a day, and that's who I choose it on. Uh, I didn't call my mom. My mom came. Let me take that back. My mom came, but she was living in Oklahoma at the time, so she told me that she had to go back to Oklahoma and she'd be back, and she did come back. But uh, that was my first visitor. My second visitor was my homeboy. He brought me an eight ball of fentanyl, helped me hobble to the bathroom, smoking fentanyl, mission to the hospital. Um, asking him what's going on. The police ain't said nothing. As far as I know, you're free to go. I start asking the doctors, like, so when I leave here, like, what am I going to have to do? They're like, oh, well, you're going to have to report to the nearest hospital to get wound care, da-da-da-da. 
And I didn't ask no questions because I didn't want to raise no alarms. But all I'm listening for is, oh, when you're you're incarcerated or they'll bring you from the prison or they'll bring you from here. And they they didn't say none of that. So uh, I ended up leaving, right, Uh, thinking I'm home free, thinking, man, I outsmarted them. Because I did have this stuff hidden in my house, right, pretty good. Like, at least I thought so. Um, I had a magnetic box, like, stuck to the inside of the air duct of the second story, like in the wall. You know what I mean? So I'm like pretty confident that they may not have found anything, you know? So now at this moment in time, Caleb, you can't tell me shit, man. My ankle monitor's off. They told me to keep it off. Uh, so now, although I'm on house arrest, I don't have an ankle monitor on because it cut into my leg. Um, SWAT team came to my house, but they didn't find anything. And so I thought, so I'm home free with no ankle monitor. Highest heck with a lot of money um i run the streets for about two weeks and i get arrested and they tell me yeah yeah uh we were just trying to let you heal up we didn't know if you're going to die or not so we weren't going to arrest you you know we was going to let you go to the hospital so they arrest me and this has been dustin was telling me yeah jack you fucked up this time they got you with 83 grams of fentanyl um 36 grams of cocaine, 400 and something grams of weed, like so many grams of meth, uh, AR-15, and uh, or not an AR-15, a 9 millimeter, and uh, it might have been an AR-15. And uh, yeah, you're fucked. Arrest me, take me to jail. Um, this is probably my, if that wasn't the rock bottom moment, this one was. Uh, Crazy, man. So what do you what do you think whenever they you read the charges? What was you what was going through your head? Bro, my fucking heart sank. Like when I thought I was devastated when North Carolina said that I wasn't gonna be able to come there, bro. This time when I have been running around free, like in my head all these scenarios are playing like, Jack, you idiot, why didn't you run? You could have went to another state and they never would have found you. Jack, what are you thinking, you know? Jack, you're going to withdraw. Jack, I had half a gram on me that I was getting ready to sell to somebody when they pulled up on me. And I didn't even run, Caleb, because I didn't think I was in trouble. You know what I mean? Like, my leg was still healing, so I don't know how good I would have ran anyway. But I didn't even attempt to because I'm like, yeah, they, they, ain't, they ain't here for me. I was at a house. And I wasn't even selling drug at that house. I was just waiting at that house till the other person got off work. And then I was leaving that house to go meet them. Well, they pull up on me. And I see them talking, talking, talking. And I'm like, oh, fuck, they are coming over here. So I take my stuff and I put it in my mouth. Just going to see what they're doing. Well, then they're like, Jack, we got a warrant for your arrest. You know, so I'm like, fuck. I keep it in my mouth, keep it in my mouth. Yeah, I swallow it in the back of the cop car. And I'm like, man, I'm going to get high off this, something, you know. Um... I get to the jail. They have to take me. They take, they talk to me. They, that's when Dustin read me all these things. Um, I'm thinking, what the fuck? You know, I'm fucked. Like, how is this happening? Like, but still trying to rationalize, like, well, they can't do this. That's illegal as fuck to wait to charge somebody like a month later after something happens. You can't do that, but, uh, you can. Um, uh, it's about probably about six or seven hours into it, man, the withdrawal start hitting hard, Caleb. And when I say hard, I mean like the entire time from the time I left your house till I got 
minus the time I was in the hospital, I was high every day. Um, overdosed a couple times, even like didn't even woke up mad because I was going to have to feel, you know, you've been Narcan, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know how that feels. Yeah. I woke up mad. I woke up mad because it feels like you've been hit by a train, you know, and you go into instant withdrawals because it's blocking all the drugs to get to your system. So I woke up mad a couple of times when I had overdose because I was withdrawn and there was nothing I could do until the Narcan was out of my system, you know? So when the withdrawals hit, man, I start throwing up, uh, getting cold chills, cold sweat, but I'm hot at the same time. My back hurts. My body hurts. I can't sit still. I can't lay down. I can't stand up because my legs are too tired. I get diarrhea. Uh, uh, I'm in, I'm in a one man or I'm in the holding cell up front with, with another person. And I'm like trying to throw up and use the bathroom at the same time. They end up having to take me back to the hospital, give me some IVs and stuff, make sure I wasn't going to die. Um, that's it. Cause I got arrested on like a Friday at like 3 PM. So, they're like, we can't give you no detox meds. We can't give you anything. The only thing that they could do was give me IV fluids. And once they were certain that I wasn't going to die, they were like, fuck it, take him back. You know, they didn't want me up there. And, mm-hmm. I mean, understandably so. Uh, I get back to the jail, and it's like Saturday. You know, I'm like, is it, is it almost Monday? Because the jailers are like, the doctor will be here Monday. Because, you know, in Cherokee jail, drugs are so rampant that once you go to the nurse after being uh, processed in, you can get detox med, like a little cocktail that makes you sleep, you know. It don't necessarily, it helps in the sense that it makes you sleep, you know. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so I'm waiting on that, and they're like, no, it's like 2.30 p.m. on Saturday, and I'm like, oh, my God, bro, like, in two days, man, anytime I have a thought of selling drugs, anytime I have a thought of getting high and escaping any kind of strife or anything like that, any kind of struggle or adversity, I think back to those days. Um, it was so bad that, like, I had a jailer come in there. Um, Dave Jumper. Shout out, Dave Jumper. Um, man, he was coming there with a wet cloth, like, wiping my face down. Like, it's just going to be all right, Jack. You're going to make it till Monday. You're going to make it. You, you'll be all right, man. You'll be all right. And... Bro, I did make it till Monday. Um, that, even now, man, I can like almost feel the pain that I was in, like my body. Like that's, that's the worst I've ever felt. Like physically, mentally, emotionally, like holistically, that is the worst I've ever felt. Like I got arrested. Everything I had, they took, um, money, drugs, all that stuff. I mean, not only was I sitting here withdrawn, but then they had me red-handed in the fact of all that shit that they found in my house. Um, So I'm sitting there, and that's really the turning point. Like, I always tend to, and I think everybody does in a sense of, if you're thinking back on a past relationship, a past job, a past time in your life, we tend to romanticize it in the mm-hmm. sense that we only remember the good stuff. 
And then once we start recalling the, all the good stuff, we almost trick ourselves into thinking that there was no bad stuff, you know. And I did that a lot with drug dealing, uh, getting high. Because uh, there wasn't a lot of bad times for me. That's what I thought, you know. I'd romanticize that. All this money, all these drugs, cars, whatever, you know. And I'd forget about that. I'd forget about the times I got locked up and lost everything. Everything I had built up, I lost it in a matter of seconds once I got arrested. Because everything I had on my person, everything that was in my name, they were going to take because I didn't have a taxable income because I had drugs. And although they couldn't prove that I bought the stuff with drug money, they could I couldn't prove that I didn't. So they won. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, so now I, I, I don't romanticize it. I remember that vividly. Like, that's my only memory. Like, every time I start to think about anything like that, I think about that. And I told myself I was going to do that. Uh, I actually told... Um, the person who was in there with me. I was like, man, look here. When I'm going to remember this shit for the rest of my life. Like, I'm going to remember this weekend and this holding cell for the rest of my life. This is the worst 48 hours of my life. Like, I couldn't imagine how bad it would have been if they didn't give me those IVs. Like, it could have been really bad, you know? Like, if it's to the point where a jail takes you to the hospital, like, you're fucked up. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just made that a point, you know? Um, that was January 29th, 2021, I think, that I got arrested last. Was it? Yeah. Um, I, had this, I had this mindset at the time of, like, regardless of what happens from this day out, I'm not going back to that lifestyle because that's what it led to. Um, I started reading self-help books. I started working out, you know, getting back to the old me, the sober me, you know, because you have to be sober. Uh, I just vowed that I wasn't going back. And keep in mind, this whole time, I'm still having to, you know, look forward to the repercussions of all, everything they caught me with, you know, because I think I had like a $6,500 cash bond, but for each charge. And I had like, 12 charges because so, <laughs> uh, I found that out because I had somebody that's going to come buy me out. 6,500? I'll be there. It's for each charge. And I was like, oh my God, you know, but um, I'm still in this mindset, even though I think I'm, I'm talking to my lawyer and he's like, the best thing that they're going to give you is they're going to offer you. I think it was like, Four years active with a four-year suspended sentence. That's what they were going to give me. And which for everything they caught me with ain't that, that's not a bad deal, you know. But um, so that's what the lawyer was trying to get. I don't know that they were going to take it. But the day before my court date calls me, when I say called me, he, he called me up to the lawyer attorney room, and I hadn't seen him this whole time, you know, and I'm like, okay, he wants to come the day before court, okay. Well, he gets there, and he's like, Jack, today's your lucky day. 
I was like, what do you mean today's my lucky day? Tomorrow I'm about to go sign this plea deal for hopefully four years of my life right now and possibly four later. You know, like, I was being an asshole. I was kind of mad. He said, oh, my bad, my bad. Um, the drugs, the drug amounts that they charged you with on your paperwork does not reflect the amount of drugs that the NC Crime Lab received. I said, what does that mean? He said, it was such a big discrepancy. It was like a 30, that was, I don't know how big, it was, it was a really, it was such a, it was a big enough of a discrepancy in the amount of one of the drugs that they threw out the rest of the drug charges. Man, that's wild, bro. That's God right there. Bro, that's what I said. They said, you have to do a year or 15 months for the guns, and you got uh, three months already, time served. So you have to do a year after this. And, bro, when he said that, I'm, like, waiting for Ashton Kutcher to come out. Like, thinking I'm getting punked. You know, I'm like, are you kidding me, bro? I'm, like, on the verge of tears. Like, and, man, I... In hindsight, it was God. Uh, I remember being at my grandpa's funeral, and my grandpa was the best man I ever knew. He he was a God fearing man. He he was so brave in the sense that he would go sing anywhere. I mean, he would pull up anywhere by himself with his cane, with his walker. Not know a person in the church, but he came there to sing because God put it on his heart. I asked him one time, I said, Grandpa, uh, does it not bother you that some of them people might think you can't sing? And he said, son, I don't sing for those people. I sing for God. And uh, at his funeral, all these people were talking about how much of a God-fearing man he was and how anytime you talk to him, all he'd say was, pray for my grandkids. Pray for my grandkids. And so I know now, without the shadow of a doubt, you know, I was pretty sure then, but I know, you know, because the prayers, they last much longer than the people who uttered them, you know, and, uh, I know my grandpa was always praying for me. My mom was always praying for me. Everybody was always praying for me, even when I wasn't praying for myself. And I know that God had to have a hand in that, you know, and that reinforces what I was already, you know, thinking in my mind, like as far as I ain't going back, you know, now, in addition to not wanting to feel that same weekend I felt in the holding cell, um, I don't want my grandpa's prayers to be in vain. Uh, I don't want the second hell, let's just be real, it's probably like the fifth or sixth chance, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that I've been blessed with in the sense of, you know, the drugs not making it to the lab. And uh, that's really it. Um, That happened. I did my year after that. Um, I made a plan of because I have been sober before. Um, and I'm not saying that everybody has to do this because different things work for everybody. Like 
everybody's recovery journey is different. But for me, I had to get away from that place because not only was it a place where I could like easily get high, it was so easily for me to go into the second part of my addiction, which was the the Russian uh, dopamine, endorphins, all that that I got from selling the drugs, you know. Mm. It was easy. I did it twice, you know. Uh, you witnessed both times. You, not saying you were there for all of it, but you know, you seen from afar because I kind of pushed you away. That it was more or less me going back to selling the drugs more so than doing it, you know. Because if I could, if I would have just relapsed and got high, you know, we probably could have. I probably could have went to detox. You know, I probably could have been like, people slip up, relapses happen. You deal with them. You know, um, mm. you fall down, you get up. But me, I didn't just fall down. You see, I didn't just get high. I could have, I could have said, Caleb, bro, I got high. I need your help. You know, I didn't do that. I, I went straight to selling it. You know, and it was like so you, easy for me. Go ahead. Uh, you doubled down, and you were even even more uh, immersed in it. Yeah, just because um, of the disposal so easily accessible. And uh, so now I just, uh, I moved away. I got a fresh start. The day I got out, the day I got out, I had Rachel pick me up. Rachel drove from Florida. She picked me up on the day I got out. I left North Carolina. I came down here to South Florida. Um, I ain't going to say the rest is history. It's been a struggle, you know. When I first got out, I thought I could be uh I thought I could drink, and I can't. Um, when I'm drunk, I have a really big tendency to say "fuck it," and that that attitude has gotten me into a lot of situations I wish I never would have been in. You know, so once I quit drinking and stuff, I I, I still that's only part of it, right? Um, That's only part of the recovery process is not drinking. It's not using. The real work begins. I don't want to say that's easy because it's not. And if you do have sober time, I'm proud of you. That's huge, you know. But the real work begins after that, I feel like, when you're trying to dive into why you drank or used in the first place. Um, what caused that? Um mm. Are you pre-genetically disposed, um, which is another thing I learned about in rehab, actually, is that I didn't know this either, but alcoholism is runs rampant in my father's side of the family. And me not knowing him, I didn't know that. Which seems innocent enough until you look at the science studies that say me not knowing me being pre-genetically disposed to addiction made me 40 times more likely to get addicted than a kid who was not. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Um, I don't know if it would have made a difference, but, you know, once again, there's that perfect storm of bad events happening, you know. It's like the stars line up, you know. Um, so a part of my reason for starting this podcast telling stories, having people share their stories is to 
spread hope, um, inspire change, uh, break down these walls that people have built uh, around themselves, sometimes unknowingly, you know, by feeling like they're the only person who feels this way. Nobody understands. Nobody can relate to me. Um, just hearing stuff like this from other people, uh, I think that yeah. can make a difference. For sure, man. And I think that, um, I really believe that, like you said a second ago, abstaining from the substance use is, is the first step. But then it's like, you've got to, to do the deep work. And understanding, like you shared just a second ago, like your family history, what are some risks that you have that somebody else might not have, you know, because it looks a little different for everybody. What are, what are the, the traumas that you're carrying that's been passed down um, that have contribute, contributed to, to, your, to your drug use, you know, and becoming aware of that? And if you're not aware of it, you can't break the cycle. Right. And so having these having these real authentic conversations like this um, always brings a deeper revelation to, to what some of these things are. You know, and I think that it's really important that, that we kind of dive into the, to all these to, to our stories, you know, so we can have a better understanding of why we do what we do, you know, and the challenges that we face. I agree. Um, I want to thank you and Caitlin, too. I never really have. It's just been, you know, I think that's another issue on the res that we could get a whole podcast episode out of is like the the lack of communication. Maybe not the lack of communication, but the lack of expressed feelings. Um, mm. A lot of times, I don't know, I grew up not expressing my feelings, not really saying I love you or, hey, I appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. You know, anything like that as far as, you know, just communicating, letting people know how I feel. So I just wanted to say thank you to you and Caitlin because, man, y'all watch me like, y'all see me in the valleys and the more often than the valleys, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's the cool thing about your story, Jack, is um, how you've never, you've continually got up, man. You know, and and also too looking at like you're sharing about your grandpa and how many how many people love you, man, and just how you you've you've impacted so many lives from here to Oklahoma and across the country. All the people that you've met, man. I mean, you're just a you're you're a big lovable. Like I mean, you you got a great sense of humor. Um, you just bring a lot of light to the world, man, and I'm I'm thankful that I'm thankful to call you my brother, you know, and I and I'm appreciative of, of the the brotherhood that we have and the relationship that we have. You know, and, and like you were just talking about, not having these these hard conversations. I mean, I think it's that's how we heal, you know, and, and that's how we heal these wounds is talking about it and, and so it, this thing that you're building right now with this podcast and, and these conversations that you're having with people is is going to just impact and inspire so many so many lives, you know? 
Yeah, I hope so. I mean, like I said, if I just help one person, man, that's 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 good enough for me, you know. And if we can help more than that, then that's the icing on the cake, and let's go. Um, I feel like we should use our struggles. Um, I read a quote one time that says, "A wise man learns from his mistakes, or learns from mistakes, his own and those of others." So, I feel like if we as people in recovery can let other people who haven't necessarily maybe not gone down the road or gone as far down the road that we did, if we can get them to turn like, Hey, this ain't where it goes. You know, I think that's what we should do. Absolutely, man. For sure. I want to, what would you say before we, before we sign off tonight? For somebody that might be listening that is on the fence about getting into recovery or getting help, or maybe they've they've taken a fall fall from grace, so to speak, you know, and they've relapsed. What what is it that you would say to that person who might be listening tonight? I'll just say, don't let it spiral. Don't let it snowball. Um, it's okay. Things happen. People relapse. Um, people fall down, uh, bad shit happens, but we can bounce back from that. Don't give up. You're worthy. You're loved. You're worth it. And I know that it looks like a, when you're looking at the task in front of you, as far as going from active addiction to recovery, man, it looks like a big treacherous path. You know, like it looks like a, Long way up the mountain, but all it takes is that first step. Just the first step. Come on. That's it, man. That's all you got to do is take that first step, you know, and and um, I think putting your hand up and, and asking for help, too, and because and, there's people out there that will that will come along beside you on that journey, and that will help you, and that cheer for you, and that pray for you. And, uh, that's the beautiful thing about the recovery community, man, is, is we're, we're, we're here to help one another and, um, to love one another, man, and just pick, pick, pick each other, pick, pick each other up whenever we do fall. Yeah. When one wins, we all win, man. That's how I feel. When I see you running your races, when I see you doing this stuff, when I see, Caitlin graduating, when I see Rob and Josie getting their certificates, when I see people reconnecting with family members, when I see people that, man, that, that makes me so happy to see. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, sure, man. It, it warms your heart to see that. So, I mean, just know you got a community behind you. Well, I appreciate you, uh, sharing your story i feel like this would be uh i mean you're gonna do with do with it what you want but i feel like this is a two-parter for sure yeah. <laughs> you could definitely divide this up into two different episodes yeah um, but i i appreciate you sharing man and and allowing me to kind of just take a seat here and, and help guide this conversation and just be a part of it thanks brother i, I love you man i appreciate it I appreciate that too, man. You've been there for most of us. So I figured you'd have a better insight than most, you know. So, but I love you, man. Thank you.